So here's what we need to do. In order for us to get a true perspective of how God sees women, we need to look at ancient times. Because a lot of how women view themselves today has stemmed from years past. And I don't mean over the last 50 years. I don't mean over the last 100 years. I mean in ancient biblical times. Because when you read the Bible, you ask yourself, why are women not written about as much as men? Now things begin to change throughout the Scriptures, but, but men had a certain perspective of women that we're going to see that God changes very, very quickly. In ancient times, whether it be Jewish history, whether it be any of the Eastern era, anywhere throughout the world, women were looked at as second-class citizens. Now let's just focus on Judaism, because that's who Jesus went to go speak to first. In Judaism, women were second-class citizens. They were uneducated. They were not allowed to go to school. Men would go to the synagogues to learn, to read, to write, to do math. But women were not allowed. Unless someone stepped into their life, they were uneducated. The only thing women were educated with was taking care of the house, doing chores, and raising children. Now, no one, no, none of you guys right now are saying, yeah, don't be talking like that. Okay, But it was bad. They were second-class citizens. Matter of fact, even when it came in view of God, they were not allowed to worship God as the men were. If you just take Herod's temple just as a picture of a place of worship, Herod's temple in Jerusalem, there were three levels of worship. The first place that you walked into was the court of Gentiles. So anyone who was not a Jewish person could go into that area and worship God. Then what you would do is you'd walk up five steps from that court, and there was an area where Jewish women could worship. Fifteen steps higher than that, at the pinnacle of the temple, was where the men would meet, and they would worship God. Women in all of Judaism was always a step below. Let me read this prayer that the Jewish men used to, used to say every single day. Praise be to God who has not made me a non-Jew. Praise be to God who has not made me an ignorant person. Praise be to God who has not made me a woman. Women were like cattle. Women were treated like property. The only way a woman was allowed to get married was when the father used her as a propositional piece. Whether it be for land, whether it be prestige, or whether it be power. So they would take their daughter and in many ways sell her off for his own sake. Imagine that. I could never imagine me with my daughter using her as a pawn, at a possession for my own gain. And yet this was normal. This was allowed. 
You start hearing this as a woman and all of a sudden your self-worth, your self-image is very much like that. The, the, the personal sketch that these women were saying about themselves. I mean, look at some of those pictures. Those were scary. They were frightening. And the reason that women in ancient times thought this way of themselves or even when you look in the Middle East right now, in a lot of the, in the Arab countries, in the Islamic world, this is how they see themselves. Yes, they cover themselves out of, out of religious duty, but even more so, they don't see their beauty. They don't see their inner worth. All they see as themselves as a second-class citizen. But this is where we need to stop. Is this why God created them? Is this why God has created you? What does Jesus say about women? What does Jesus see when he sees women all throughout the Gospels? I honestly believe that when we look at Luke chapter 1, 28, we begin to see God's perspective of women. Let me just read to you a very simple verse. Gabriel appeared to Mary and said, Greetings, favored woman. How old was Mary at the time? 12, 13, 14, 15 at the oldest? And yet when God looked down on humanity and God was going to make himself present, who did he choose? He chose a woman. A woman, a picture of the regular girl. Mary did not come from a kingly line in the sense that she was living in a castle. She didn't have great wealth. Matter of fact, she did not come from wealth. And yet when he looked all over the earth, he found your normal, cute, young girl. And he said, you, are favored. God so loves the world so much that He not only sent His Son, but He used His greatest creation to allow Himself to be present. Do you know what Mary's title was given in Scripture? The Mother of God. I mean, right away when we get to the gospel pages, at the very beginning, Jesus is coming to change humanity's perspective of God's greatest creation, which is all humanity. And how does he begin this? By using the part of humanity that has been put down the most. He used that which was looked at as a second-class citizen to make himself known. Now let's talk about Jesus a little bit. Where was Jesus in all this? So Jesus is born through a woman. Just like all of us. He did not come down like Superman in an asteroid. He did not, he did not just magically appear. But he was born just like us. And as you look all throughout the gospel, Jesus has all of these encounters with women. From the very beginning to the last 
breath. Jesus was always surrounded by women that he spoke into. Let me give you a couple little examples. The woman called in adultery. Here it was a huge scene where all of the Pharisees and Sadducees and religious of the laws were pointing their finger at a woman who was trying to make her lifestyle work. She was trying to figure out a way that how am I going to support myself? And she fell into a life of sin and a prostitution. She was more, she was less than a second class citizen. These guys were looking at her as the scum of the earth. And they picked up their stones and they were going to throw them at her, her. They were going to hurl them at her to put her to death. And Jesus stepped into the scene and he started writing things in the ground. And people say that what he was writing in the ground were the sins of those men. Here's the reality. Many of those men had more than likely paid to be with her. And as Jesus started writing their sins in the ground, what did, what did they do? They dropped the stones and walked away. If Jesus was going to ever put down someone, wouldn't, it be this, wouldn't this be the appropriate time? Wouldn't this be an opportunity for Jesus to step on the scene to reveal himself to the religious leaders and say, yeah, I agree. She's worse than a second-class citizen. She's a whore. But that's not what Jesus saw in her. Let me read you a little passage from, from John. Jesus had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to, uh, to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please, give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Here it is, Jesus and his disciples were walking and, and there came a point that Jesus was just exhausted and he told his disciples, he said, you guys go to the village. I'm going to stay here and rest. But here's the beauty that we know about our Lord. Is that he always spent time with the Father. And when the Father told him to go somewhere, he went. When the Father told him to stop, he stopped. When the Father asked him to heal, he healed. When the Father asked him to deliver, he delivered. When the Father put a person in his path, he never passed them up. And so Jesus went to Jacob's well. And he sat there. And when he sat there, there was an encounter with a woman. This woman was very much like the, the other woman. She was a Samaritan. There's many things to this passage in John chapter 4. She was divorced not once, not twice, not three, not four, but five times. She not only was divorced five times, she was actually living with a man. Not only that, she was an outcast because whenever you were divorced or had committed adultery, you were not allowed to be with the other women. So the only reason she was alone at Jacob's well 
was because of her poor life decisions. And Jesus sat there with her. And he spoke to her. Never condemning her. But, meet, but he met her in her place of pain. And you know what's so amazing about Jesus? Is that when Jesus knew that his disciples, that when they were going to come back, he was going to see, they were going to see this encounter taking place with he and this Samaritan woman. This adulteress. But he cared more about her soul and her worth than what the disciples would think of him. You know, we oftentimes think of, of women's lib. That that started in the 50s. Jesus was the one who broke all the barriers. He was radical in that day. He was the one that began to set women free. And all of a sudden, as he began to set women free and allow them to see their identity and their worth, do you know what they began to do? They began to follow him. They began to follow him. Matter of fact, Luke, in Luke chapter 8, verse 1 and 2, he gives the women a title. Let me read this. Soon after, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him. Right? The 12. That was the title that the disciples were given. Along with some, or the, or the right personality, along with the women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. And in Luke chapter 8, he starts naming the women that were following him. You see, Luke, when he spells out the gospel, he gives, he gives two different groups of people identities. He gives the twelve, and then the women. There were women that followed Jesus all throughout the gospels. And it starts a little bit later in the Gospels, but there's this, this contingency, this gang of women that follow him everywhere he goes. And their role is simply this, to be present, to learn, to study under Jesus. And not only did they do that, they also took care of him made sure that he was okay, provided food for him. And so you see in Luke, in John, in Mark, this band of women that began to follow Jesus simply because of the freedom that he brought to them. You know how many times that during the journey of the Gospels that, that when the Pharisees and Sadducees would come around that you could see the women begin to step back out of fear. But why is it that all of the Gospel writers make a point to identifying 
Mary Magdalene and the other women. Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, and other women. Why do they make it a point in a Jewish culture that only speaks down to a woman's worth? I love my professor. He, uh, he wrote this book called Jesus the Theography. And I love how in his book he points out that the greatest of all the disciples throughout the Gospels were not the twelve. You see, that's how we look at it. We think about the twelve men. But I love how he points out that in our human perspective, that as great and honorable as these twelve were, Do you know who the most honorable were? The women. And you know why? Because when Jesus went to the cross, they didn't run away. All of them, all of the men ran away. All of the men, except one, John. They all said, See ya in fear of their own lives. But when you read the crucifixion account, who is it that not only stands from a distance as seen in Luke, but in the other Gospels are are right underneath the cross with Christ. Mark chapter 15, verse 40 through 41 This is talking about the crucifixion. Some women were there watching from a distance, including Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, the younger brother, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. They had been followers of Jesus and had cared for him while he was in Galilee. Many other women who had come with him to Jerusalem were also there. You have Mary, you have Mary, you have Salome. You also have his mother there. And then you also hear in Mark chapter 15 that there were other women there from a distance watching. But out of all of the 12 disciples, Judas had hung himself. Peter just went crazy. The others just took off. And John was present. And yet when you look at the crucifixion, these women stayed to watch the most glorious form of death. Vicious. Horrific. Bloody. He was not only... See, when we see Jesus on the cross, we see like this handsome man that just stood there with this little like... uh, Speedo, covering him. It's the only way to say it. You can laugh. That's not how he was crucified. He was stripped naked. And he was beaten so bad that you couldn't even identify who he was. That's why when he was resurrected, everyone's like, who is that? We don't know him. The last time we saw Jesus was he was ripped apart. And yet these women had stayed 
And not only did they stay, but after six hours of watching all of this unfold, some had taken the body of Jesus to a tomb. Let's take it a little step further. It just doesn't end there. You want to talk about a woman's worth? Mark chapter 16, verse 1 through 3. Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. Who were the first to go to Jesus in his death? The women. And when you continue in Mark chapter 16, verse 4 through 8, there's an angel that is sitting on the deathbed where the body would be laid. And the angel is the one that says, Go tell the disciples. God was going to use women to be the first to proclaim the resurrection. Worth. Let's go back to that video. How often do women feel this low self-esteem? How often is it that, that women feel this this, this, this low form of self-worth and identity. And so, so often women run around and they find their identity in everything else. Rather than in who God sees them as. Women are very much different than men. Let me give you a couple examples. One, women are, are more apt to go deeper, quicker than men. When you see two women talk for the first time, us guys are like, oh my gosh. There's like, it's like they tell like the big picture of their life story in a matter of three minutes. And so they go like this. But if you really talk to women, you'll ask, how many people really know you? They'll say, not many. You see, there comes a point in a woman's life that they'll say, I'll go this deep and that's it. You know what's funny about men? A guy will meet a man and be like, what's up? Do like the fist pump. Like if they're really cool, they go like this. Explode it. Like you're 50 years old and you're exploding things. And so like, that's it. So, who you like, Yankees? Yeah, me too. Jets, Giants, jerk. And they go like this. Little deep. Little deep. I mean, that's like a rock. But you know what's different about men? When men get into relationships with other men and they build this, this brotherly bond, okay, we have women over here, they go, 
Never to go any further. Right? Okay? All the women will shake their head yes. Guys go like this. Uh, uh. And they go deeper than deep. And I really believe that women do that because of how they view themselves. They want to go to another woman. They want to be affirmed. That's why when they meet men, like oftentimes girls just scare off guys because they're just like, I love you, but I don't know you. And the guy's like, what? This is crazy. Because they go, scoof. But that's it. Because they wanted to go deep, deep enough to gain the approval and the acceptance of the person in front of them. And the rest of their life, they're just stuck and stuck. It doesn't matter how many Bible studies they go to, they're stuck. It doesn't matter how many people they, they hang out with, they're stuck. Because it's how they perceive themselves. They are terrified to go here. But that's not how God sees you. Ladies, you are more concerned about how you see yourself than how God sees you. You are more concerned with how, with how less you perceive yourself than all the worth that God has created you to be. I mean, think about this. God so loves you that he chose you. He chose woman to bear the son of God. And not only did he do that, but in a room full of Pharisees and a room full of Sadducees, he allowed Mary, Martha's sister to just sit there and worship like everyone else and he looked at her as his beloved when we come to Christ whether male or female God sees us all as the same when you come to Christ, you have the opportunity to gain the true identity as a daughter of the Most High. As the princess of the King of Kings. As the beloved of the maker of our souls. How do you do that? By being Jesus' disciple. Simply spoken as this. Identifying yourself as Christ identifies you. When Jesus is your Savior, you are a daughter of the Most High. And you begin to see yourself in a whole different light. That the way that He has painted you it's completely different than how you see yourself. Let me ask you a question on this Mother's Day morning.
What keeps you from fully surrendering your life to Jesus? Let me ask you a harder question. What keeps you from surrendering your identity as God's daughter? Because it's not until then do you understand who you fully are as a child of God? Is it your busyness? Is it your family situation? Is it fear? Is it the mundane? Is it how you want others to see yourself? What is it that keeps you from fully seeing yourself the way that God sees you? Today's Mother's Day. It's a day of celebrating you. Whether you have children or whether you don't. We are here to celebrate every woman in the plant. Because in the eyes of God, you are his beloved. You are beautiful. You are full of all the worth in all the world. Why? Because you are his creation. And without you, us men wouldn't be here. No shame on the church over the last how many years that we took on the mantle of Judaism and put you here. Shame on us. Because when God made Eve, He made her out of the side of man to walk hand in hand throughout life. To be a blessing to one another. To uplift one another. To build one another up. And so as a minister of the gospel to you women, I apologize how the church has made you feel less. Because in Scripture, we need to see you as more. You need to be honored today. And the reason we honor you is because Jesus honors you. Here's what I want to do. One of the beautiful things that we do at the plant is that we pray for one another. We honor one another when people are sick, when people are hurting, when people are broken. And let me share this with you. Last week we had a pretty intense week of prayer, didn't we? Do you know what happened last week? And not to sound spooky, someone had a physical healing. I talked with someone last Monday that was struggling physically, was going to the doctor for a medical condition, and it's no longer there. What happens when we pray? We invite God to be present. 
So here's what we're going to do. If you are a woman and you are here, we want to pray for you. I don't care if you're 12 or 13 or older than 70. I want you to stand. Would you stand now?